Good morning, everybody, and thank you for coming back and joining me this morning here on Next on the Tee. We are brought to you today by the great folks over at the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Company, and our good friends over at uh, Frogger Golf. And, folks, if you haven't checked out Frogger Golf lately, what a wonderful array of products that they have. I can't brag enough about their accessories like the amphibian towel that won the best new product at the PGA Merchandise Show back in 2009 and their catch latch technology really great stuff easily and securely attaches and releases you know your amphibian towel your golf towel and your your brush pro uh, club cleaner so any club cleaner that you got particularly their great one the brush pro it really easily attaches to your golf bag and and uh, this being breast cancer awareness month they have a wonderful pink version of their accessories and a portion of the sales go to help support breast cancer so check it all out online at froggergolf.com and let me say how much I love the new Bobby Jones Fall Apparel, folks. Please go to bobbyjones.com and take a look at all their great new arrivals. Plus, while you're there, you get to watch playing lessons from, you know, from Bobby Jones himself. Many of those lessons, folks, still hold true to, te- to today. And their golf shirts and their, and their sweaters are so soft and comfortable. They're going to keep you warm and, and looking great and feeling great, whether you're in the office or out on the golf course. So go to bobbyjones.com to check it out. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and and over the last few weeks, we've been celebrating the life of Arnold Palmer, hearing great stories from people like Peter Kessler and Donnie Hammond, Bob Friend Jr., and Mr. Ben Wright last week. So this morning, we're going to do some more of that with my two guests. We've got Dennis Cohn and Eric Johnson here with me this morning. Dennis is, you know, back. He joined me earlier this year. You'll remember him. He's the founder of the Professional Caddies Association and a member of the Caddy Hall of Fame. They're doing such great things over with the Caddy Association. He's got some updates for us, which I'm really looking forward to talking with and hearing about uh, with Dennis. Plus, we'll hear some memories of him with Mr. Palmer as well. So Dennis is going to be along here in just a few minutes with me. Following him, we'll get a return visit from Top 100 instructor Eric Johnson. And you know Eric's one of my favorites of all time. And, you know, Eric is, you know, was the director for many years, director of golf for so many years over at Oakmont Country Club before moving over to Nemecolin Woodlands Resort earlier this year so we'll talk about you know eric about you know his memories of mr palmer we'll also talk about you know the Ryder cup plus get a few of his great tips are going to go out there and help us shave a couple of strokes off of our scores eric's going to join me a little bit later in this half hour so we're going to hear a lot of great stories we're going to have a lot of fun this morning i am so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next hour And like I mentioned a moment ago, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort, which you know is an absolutely spectacular place. If you haven't seen it, go to FrenchLick.com to check it out for yourself. They've got a Pete Dye and a Donald Ross design course. Those were ranked number one and number two in the state of Indiana by Golf Week. It was the site of last year's Senior PGA Championship, and a few weeks back they hosted the LPGA Legends Championship as well. So please, again, go to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself how great it is and to book your stay. And every week here on Next on the Tee, you know, I like to kick off the show by saluting the brave men and women that are serving in every branch of our military who are tuning in around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. We want to thank all of you for your daily sacrifices that you and your families are making to protect our freedoms and our liberties wherever you're stationed. We also want to thank our veterans out there for all that you and your families have done for us over the years. It is through your strength and your efforts that our way of life continues to be possible. Folks, if you happen to see a member of the military when you're out and about, wherever you might be, in the airport, at a restaurant, at the grocery store, wherever, please stop for a moment and tell them thank you. They are our true heroes. 
Our sincere thanks as well to Sean Cruz and all the wonderful folks over at the Armed Forces Radio Network. It is such an honor that you have Next on the T as part of your network. You can find our show by going to Armed Forces Radio Network. Org. And I also want to continue to remind our veterans out there, be sure to check out globalvoiceforveterans.org. It's a site with news and articles and a wealth of information specifically geared towards our veterans out there. I'm sure you're going to find it both interesting to you and beneficial. Again, globalvoiceforveterans.org. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dennis Cohn. And like I said, you know, Dennis is the founder and the CEO of the Professional Caddies Association. He also served as the president of the Junior Golf Association down in Central Florida. He was inducted into the Caddy Hall of Fame back in 2011. He's a, a wonderful person, a lot of great spirit, doing a lot of really great stuff. And I'm so excited that he is back again with me this morning on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Dennis. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, thank you, and thank all the listeners out there. And what a fantastic show you have. You kind of just energize me every time I hear from you. And thank you very much because, you know, sometimes caddy work does not get a lot of attention. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and Dennis, but, you know, I, I want to start off our time this morning really getting your memories. You posted some wonderful pictures of you and Mr. Palmer on my Facebook page, and uh, I wanted to get your memories, your thoughts of uh, your time getting to spend some time with the King. Well, I, I first met Mr. Palmer back when I, I started at uh, Tickle the Junior Golf Association back in the 90s, and uh, and I met Mr. Palmer way back then and actually had a meeting with him in his office um, with the, one of our board members, and I remember going to his office, and I remember that they said it would be for about 15 minutes, and I remember going in the office and telling him about what we're trying to do and trying to get kids to play golf and get them on the golf course, which we're still doing that and trying to do it, but we've got it's getting revitalized. And so uh, I remember him uh, uh, sitting there, and we're going over all that. And then I remember one time somebody said, if you really want to get the conversation further, you need to ask somebody how they got to where they are today. And I asked that question, and Mr. Palmer sat back, I remember he took, he took he put his feet up on the corner of his desk and started telling us all about his early days and the tractor and everything and, and he he did a little caddying for the ladies only he said and you know and we we uh, had a great time and then we kept in touch over the years and I'd always of course reach out to him and and ask him for some support from some of the Hall of Famers uh, or, or we had a, a meeting going on or something to get a letter to honor some of the people that we were honoring and. He was always gracious uh, working with Doc, uh, his uh, assistant for many years. Uh, he was always just gracious about doing that. And then uh, I met him again uh, on several occasions, but uh, most one that sticks out is at the 50th anniversary of the Golf Writers Association, a uh, member, member of up in Myrtle Beach. And he came to our meeting up there and uh, had a conversation in the hallway with him. Uh, uh, he, he did tell me, uh, Dennis, you know, do the right things in this game and continue to do it. I do remember that. Now, the second part was I kind of ad lib a little bit because he did has told people, make sure you take your hat off in the clubhouse. So I had a chance uh -huh. to hear him speak to all of us and, and realize that he's, he was just a really humble man that really, truly, truly cared about the game of golf. And, and he, I remember him saying one time it stuck with me for a long time if you know if you take the fun out of the game then he doesn't want to play it anymore so uh, a lot of people go out and struggle with their game and it's not fun and you throw the clubs and everything else and i hope the kids that are listening or 
or the parents can let their kids know it is a game. It is a game. Uh, some people do it for a profession, but, you know, it is a game, and you need to enjoy it as a game and keep the fun in it. And, Dennis, yeah. you, and you then, talk about kids. Talk about the Arnold Palmer Hospital and the Caddy for Kids program that you're a part of. Well, uh, I, uh, we've, I'll talk about the book later and tell you another story, but we uh, started that program as a test uh, working with John Rigger with, uh, at the time with President North Florida PGA over at the Winter Park Country Club there. And, and actually years ago they had uh, caddies there. And uh, the idea was that, that to get kids on the golf course, if you want kids to play golf, the first thing you had to do them is get them to the golf course. And if you can pay them, to go there or give them an incentive to, to show up, they'll, they'll probably show up. So we started with the Arnold Palmer Hospital, a program called Caddy for Kids, and we ran a pilot program, which was very successful, and we're looking to get some support and sponsors to take it nationwide now. Basically, kids in Florida uh, have to get the bright scholars and stuff, have to do so many community service hours. So the idea was that you could caddy for free. I mean, I, w- I would love to, as a legacy, to be able to say that we provided uh, caddies at public golf courses uh, for free. That would be a wonderful thing for the game. And for 90% of the Americans never even had a caddy. Uh, you know, so right. the idea was that the kids would come out and they would caddy for free, and then you would make a donation of $10, which would go half to the Arnold Palmer Hospital and half to the PCA Caddy Foundation. And so we did that. It was very successful. But the most interesting thing, Chris, was on our exit surveys, we talked to the kids. Now, we had a, a school one time, the Boy Scouts another time, so we you know, kind of split it up with different service groups that over 50% of the kids that came out to do this had never even been on a golf course. And so uh, in our exit survey, we asked them what they thought about this, and they, and majority of them, over 50%, again, said it looked like a pretty cool game. They may like to learn how to play it. So we, we saw something happening there, and – the majority of the kids that came out were, were girls. So we, you know, would think the LPGA needs to take a look at this with us, and then I think it's an opportunity for uh, for getting the girls back in the game because uh, there's a lot of growth uh, in female and girls in the game, and we certainly need them and welcome them out there. So that's the program, and, and we could, we can, uh, if we did it in another city, uh, Arnold Palmer Hospital said that they would step aside as far as the donor, but I don't think I'd want to step aside uh, Mr. Palmer's great organization over there. So I think we would always somehow see that the Arnold Palmer Hospital benefited from this program. That's great stuff, Dennis. And and you teased on uh, on my Facebook page as well that you've got some really good inside-the-ropes information to share. So please, give us what, what's the latest things going on with you and the, and the Caddies Association? Well, we'll be making an announcement the first of next year, uh, there's been a, a movement to bring back caddies in the industry. And that's not just from me, but it's from the industry itself. And even the, uh, the golf gods, the PGA of America, PGA tour, and all the great organizations out there. And so we're, uh, working on putting together an information site that will basically give all the people interested in becoming a caddy, uh, or even learning golf through the eyes of a caddy. And so, uh, I would like to invite your fans uh, to send an email to you or, or to me and, and let us know what they would like to see and what information they would like to have about how caddies help you play around a golf, 
help you enjoy the golf game better, how it speeds up the play, you know, how it uh, gives certainly kids an opportunity to have a little job and income, be around nice people and fix the greens and, and all the things, and it makes happier members. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that comes out of that. Uh, you know, I was on the original board with Steve Monum. We founded the first tee, and, and those great different programs that around the country, they benefit kids with life and social skills. But the one thing that's lacking that people don't talk about is the business skills that come from being a caddy. I mean, you have to brush your hair, brush your teeth. you got to learn how to talk to people and, and you know, be nice because you're trying to get a tip you know, at the end of the day, you know. And, and I think that a lot of people uh, work in the service industry, and they understand that. And it's all about attitude. And so you, that can be carried over into the, 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 the caddy or the kid's life at school and with, you know, with the teachers and fellow classmates and learn how to get along with people so i think it's and you, you know you heard it all the time so many times oh i grew up as a caddy and what a great thing that that was and right thomas free thomas friedman famous writer went in the caddy hall of fame uh this year and he uh caddy for chichi rodriguez when he was 13 years old to the u.s open and not many people know that and he uh you can go online and look at what he said about foundation for his whole life was formed from being a caddy as a youth and and to that end, you know, as, as you just mentioned there, Dennis, so many of the great players, right, of all time started out, you know, as caddies and, you know, caddying as, you know, as young, uh, young boys. And, and I know, you know, in the, in the not too distant past and in, in the, you know, for the Caddy Hall of Fame, I mean, you inducted, you know, you, you were inducted in there in 2011. I know Mr. Nicholas and, and Tom Watson ha- have been in there. Tom Dreesen, who's, who's a comedian, is in there. But, you know, a lot of those guys started off as, you know, and a lot of, you know, the two, you know, to the other point, some of the other great, you know, Hall of Fame players started off as caddies. And I think that's something to your point that, you know, has been lost in the game and people aren't aware of that these are, you know, this is how guys got to spend time honing their games, learning the game of golf, learning the rules, learning the discipline that you need. That, I think that's, that, those are some stories that I think need to get back out there and publicize more. Well, that that's what they're doing. And, and I mean, Hogan and Nelson, they were, Caddy grew up as caddy, and they kept battling back and forth, winning the caddy tournament. You know, I mean, what two great players is that? And and then the one thing about Mr. Nicholas, and it's on YouTube, uh, when he got inducted, I never heard him say this. In fact, I was talking to somebody else last night about this. He says, if it wasn't for caddying for my dad, I'd never taken up the game. And that that's a that's quite a statement there from Mr. Nicholas. And I'm glad he's he's got that out there because, you know, people don't realize. I mean, you don't have to be a caddy and get paid and and be on the tour and everything else but you could just go out and, and spend a minute as a mentor to just go out with somebody if you want to learn the game of golf go ask somebody if i can go out and carry your bag or just walk beside you and fix the greens for you and just can i just be out there as a, a that, that day with your uncle your brother your cousin and i think if that they should encourage the kids to go along you know i'm sure the golf course wouldn't mind uh if you brought your grandson out there to be your caddy you know because you're going to speed up the game and we get more players on there, so the owner's going to be happier because he's going to make a few more dollars with the extra players, and you're going to fix the greens. And uh, so it, it's it's a win for everybody if if everybody just gets behind. The biggest problem is is a lot of the people's concerns with all the legal stuff, and I don't want to get into all that because that's a whole other conversation. But uh, hopefully that 
the IRS and a lot of the people looking at you know the youth and and their employment statuses that they'll realize that this is a path forward for citizenship and great people in America, and they need to keep that door open. Dennis, one of the other programs that uh, that you guys have, and I think we need to continue to spread the word about this as well, is, is the Lifesaver Golf Program. Remind our listeners what that's about. Well, that's part of what ties in with uh, with training when we do an education program with our Caddy for Kids program and, um, you know, the Eagle Guide 4K. Lifesaver Golf, I've, I've partnered with Danielle, who's a, uh, an international uh, trainer of AED CPR, and Years ago, uh, one of our caddies in the PCA actually died on the, at the tournament at the PGA Championship in Valhalla, and they brought him back to life with a defibrillator. And uh, and then after that, everybody was getting defibrillators, getting them on the golf course, getting them in the golf cars and things like that. Well, that was 15, 20 years ago. And since then, some other people have died in the golf course. The golf course is one of the top places that people die from a heart attack because it's just so hard to get to somebody when they're in the back nine somewhere and they're not close to the clubhouse so i think it's a a push that we're doing we're trying to get the golf courses to have their people aed cepr trained their volunteers their staff uh, everybody and then we're hoping that the insurance company will reduce their insurance policy a little bit for them to do that so if here a, a person that has heart problems you got a choice of playing at this golf course where anybody on that golf course can save your life if they need to with CPR, and then or a golf course that doesn't have any equipment or nobody's trained. So I think that that it's really good uh, to keep uh, to keep golf as if it's a pl- safe place to play around. And if we can continue to monitor that, as we got a lot of baby boomers that are getting older like me, and the ticker is slowing down, and I think we got to make sure that it is a safe place to play around. And Dennis, one of the other things, and you alluded to this a moment ago, the benefits you know of the game of golf, and I've talked to Steve Mona about this on a couple of different occasions, but it's really the opportunity just you know to be outside. Part part of what I think we lose, you know, because you know, as you mentioned a moment ago, golf golf's a hard game, right? It's you know, and and if and if you're not out there enjoying it, and I think there's a great movement now, getting to you know play your own tee, right? play your right tee. Right, make the game enjoyable for yourself, right? So that you know you're not frustrated, you're not throwing your golf clubs, you're not, you know, shooting 120. Move forward, right, and that sort of thing. Right. But on top of on top of enjoying the game more and playing the you know the right length golf course for your game, and that and everyone needing to be okay with that and checking your ego and play the right so you can have more fun. But it's being outside. It's enjoying the you know the scenery, the environment, the fresh air, all of those sorts of things from a health benefit perspective as you talk about people unfortunately having some issues you know with with heart attacks but whatnot but going out and walking a golf course having a caddy enjoying the environment playing the right tees and and that sort of thing i think is a wonderful movement all in to make the game more enjoyable and better for us no question about it i mean it uh being outside is is i mean remember i don't know if you remember the old days we used to have the jfk we have to do push-ups in junior high school and stuff like that they don't kids don't have that chance to get the exercise that they used to and um yeah it's it is no question about it uh it's it's beautiful for five-hour walk in the park and we only play golf you think about it in a four-hour round or five-hour round of golf you're only playing golf maybe 20 minutes i mean actually hitting the golf ball and so the rest of the time you're out there and you should enjoy the uh the walk and that's one thing about walking uh, even if it were the four caddy, the four caddy can still drive the golf car, 
we don't lose the revenue for the pro. But uh, you could walk down the fairway. If when, you, when you're walking down the fairway, you walk to your ball. You know the yardage because you've already paced it off. When you get to your ball, you're ready to hit. With you and I riding on a golf cart, we drive over to your ball and we jump out and say, "Okay, how far are we? How far away are we? What do we got?" You know, I mean, we we don't even know what we know. We're talking, but we got it slows the game down. And so when you're walking to your ball, when you walk up, and the, here's the, the somebody asked me one time, Chris, what is lost by having the golf cars versus a caddy? The visualization of the game. What I mean is when you're walking down there, walking to your ball, you're visualizing that shot. You look at all the players. The first thing they do is stand behind their ball, and they visualize their ball down there at 280 yards in the middle of the fairway. And then when you walk up your ball, you actually able your brain gets geared into they see that bowling alley right there. Right. No, that's an excellent point, Dennis. Yeah, it's good, so, good stuff. Dennis, as I was sort of looking through the other list of uh, inductees into the Caddy Hall of Fame last year, the Murray brothers, Bill Murray and his brothers, were inducted into the into the Caddy Hall of Fame. Talk about why. What a great story. Uh, uh, in fact, I was with Donnie Hammond up at, uh, up at the – he played in the tournament they had up at the World Golf Village, and I was sitting at the, at the lounge there, and the gentleman next to him, we were talking about the Caddy Hall of Fame this in year 2000, and this gentleman says, well, I'd like to nominate my family to the Hall of Fame. I said, well, who's your family? He said, I'm Brian Doyle Murray. I wrote Caddyshack. I said, oh, okay. So the story is that they, these uh, brothers from Chicago all grew up as caddy uh, at, at, uh, in Chicago. And, and one of them went on to get a scholarship at the Western Golf Association. Uh, um, so it's really Ed Murray, and he turned out in the financial business. So it's a great, great story. Uh Bill Murray, you know, the whole family went in because they are really what it's all about. You look at these gentlemen, and they're all successful in their own ways, and um, they started off as caddies, and, and they, they really look at on the Internet, and you can see what they said, why, and some of it's funny, but it's why it, it helped them be the person they are. So that's the reason that, that I believe that the, the final vote was made for them because it shows how a family that plays together – works together, lives together, uh, can be successful. And Dennis, you put a, a, you wrote a book. It's called Think Like a Caddy, Play Like a Pro. Mr. Palmer did the forward, you know, in, in that book. Talk about, you know, what's inside that book and uh, how it can improve our games. Actually, I'm going to ask, offer to your listeners a chance to give one of those away, and I'll sign it and mail it to them if, if they can let you know, the first one to, to tell how many majors – that Tom Watson won with Bruce Edwards on his bag, and they were Bruce was on his bag for almost 30 years, so they can figure that out. But the interesting story there was I I was finishing the book, working on it with some golf writers, and I wanted to get Mr. Palmer to do the forward, and I called Doc up his assistant, and I said, you know, Mr. Can need to talk to Mr. Palmer about doing this for us, and Doc said basically, Mr. Palmer wants 30 days to answer things you know and i i said okay i understand that well i really need it in two weeks and so <clears throat> i went to mr crinch and then we got the letter uh, back and then uh mr palmer's i got a call from doc it said uh mr palmer I, he called in and he, he said uh he likes what you guys are doing help dennis and help those damn caddies and, and then i got a letter from mr crenshaw a few days later he wanted to help so mr palmer did the prefix and and mr crenshaw did the uh, I'm sorry, the forward and Mr. 
uh, friend did the prefix. So we're really honored about that book. So it's it's about your inner caddy when you're out there by yourself, Chris, and you hear that little voice that says, lay up, don't go through that miracle hole. That's your inner caddy talking to you. That's um, a really a voice from God, but it's basically telling you to play smart. And that's what the book's all about. It's how to think your way around the course, not golf swings and chipping. It's how to manage yourself around the course. So happy with Dennis, it. Before- Great book. Before we let you go, Dennis, you know, uh, remind our listeners, you know, how they can find out more information about the greatest caddies of all time, you know, and the Professional Caddies Association and the great work you're doing. And then, as you talked about at the beginning, you know, once we get to the point, you know, into next year about bringing caddies back, you know, into into the game of golf, how can they stay abreast of all of that sort of thing and, and see about, you know, how you're progressing with that? Well, you can Google in uh, Dennis Cone Professional Caddy Association or Dennis Cone Golf. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube. There's a lot of stuff out there uh, to find us. And But we, we will be announcing to you first uh, in the end of December about this exciting news. And uh, I, I appreciate everybody, you know, sending in their comments to you or to PCA on how, what they would like to hear from the caddy organizations or how the information is available to Grow the game one caddy at a time, and uh, but PCAWorldwide.com is our website, and then that's one of them. And they can get to us by there, and get to the foundation, and and the Hall of Fame uh, is also the Western Golf Association Chicago now is uh, administrating the Hall of Fame for us. So uh, great organization, uh, uh, over a hundred years old, and just do wonderful work with sending kids to college and. We're working very hard on on getting scholarship dollars uh, funded to them next year also. It's all really great stuff, Dennis. I can't thank you for enough for all the great things you're doing for the game of golf. I look forward to to the end of December. Have you back on and we'll we'll get the updates and see where you know where things stand and uh, uh it's all it's all a wonderful thing and caddies are a very important part of the game. They have been throughout history. It would be such a great thing for the game and for for young people, both boys and girls to get the opportunity to get out and caddy and get more, you know, get the experiences that you talked about, the life experiences, and then, you know, also, uh, you know, learning more about the game of golf, and hopefully that can help us continue to grow the game of golf with, with the next generation of, uh, of kids and players. It's going thank to you happen. It's going, thank you so much, but it's going to happen. And, and bring, coming back, bringing back the caddies is the missing piece of the caddy puzzle, and the industry is starting to finally realize it. And thank you, industry. <laughs> Absolutely. Dennis, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to come back on the show. Look forward to the end of December having you back and getting the updates from you in between now and then, Dennis. All the best. I love your your show. Thank you so much for what you do. God bless everybody. Thank you very much. Take care, Dennis. That is Dennis Cohn. Again, you know, check him out online. Great stuff. PCAWorldwide.com and, uh, you know, the Professional Caddies Association and the Caddies Hall of Fame. All great stuff. And, boy, if they can get caddies back into the game, what a wonderful thing that's going to be for the game just as a whole. All right, we're going to get to my next guest, Eric Johnson, and we are going to do that on the other side of this station identification. You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Heard around the world on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And now back with me and making his seventh appearance on the French Lick Resort guest line is Eric Johnson. Eric is the Director of Instruction at Namakalan Woodlands Resort. Prior to moving over there you know, earlier this year, Eric was the Director of Instruction at Oakmont Country Club for several years. Golf Magazine has uh, named him a top 100 teacher every year since 2011. He was recognized by Golf Digest as a top 40 under 40 teacher. He is a three-time 
Tri-State PGA Teacher of the Year. He is also a two-time Horton Smith Award winner for his contributions to education. He's on the advisory staff for TaylorMade Adidas Golf. He's played on the Canadian Tour, the Sunshine Tour, the Golden Bear Tour. And you all know from the many times Eric has been a part of the show, you know he's one of my favorites of all time. Would be in my dream by some as well. And I am honored that he is back on the show with me again this morning here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Eric, how are you, my friend? Hey, Chris, I'm doing great. How are you, buddy? I I appreciate your uh, really kind introduction there. I've I've said this, you're the the most prepared host I've ever you know, ever heard of, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. So, Eric, like I mentioned in your intro, you moved over from Oakmont to Namakalan Woodlands Resort earlier this year. An amazing place. I checked it out online. What an a spectacular resort <clears throat> that it is. For for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, can you give us, you know, a quick overview of uh, what they could expect to see there? Yeah, yeah, it is in a it's an absolute outdoor fantasy land up here. It is we've got two Pete Dye designed golf courses, Mystic Rock and the new one that we're just finishing right now and we'll be done uh in a couple days here and we'll be playing it next uh, July. July 1 is going to open it's called Shepherd's Rock. And Nemecolon is a you know, huge resort on 2000 acres. It's owned by the Hardy family of 84 Lumber. Mr. Hardy is uh you know, a tremendous man, 93-year-old gentleman, and, you know, we see him on property here every day. You know, I see him 20 times a day driving around and, you know, checking out the property and checking out the hotels and the resorts and the and Falling Rock and the golf courses. And, you know, he's like all successful great men who just, you know, can't stop, you know, and, and, and we see him every day. And it's so much fun to talk to him. And, and now his daughter Maggie Hardy has taken over the business and also runs 84 Lumber and, you know, just an incredible, incredible family. Um, I'm just delighted to be here. Um, I'm blessed with the opportunity to be here. And, Eric, we've been doing a month-long celebration of the life of <clears throat> Arnold Palmer and, you know, all the years that you were the director of instruction over there at Oakmont. I'm guessing you had several opportunities to spend some time with Mr. Palmer. I wonder if you could share a couple of your favorite stories. Yeah, well, the king, you know, I mean, it's with a heavy heart that we talk about it, but, you know, I mean, I, and then in the same breath, you can say, I don't know of any human being in the world that had a greater life, uh, you know, and, and touch more people. So maybe it's a celebration, but the first time I saw Mr. Palmer was in, actually, I was six years old, 1976 at Titusville, Pennsylvania, wow. at Cross Creek Resort. They had... Uh, true story, they had Mr. Palmer and they had Curtis Strange and then one of our tri-state professionals up in uh, uh, Chuck Scally Sr., one of the great you know, players in our section. They played an exhibition, and I don't know if the bank sponsored it or something, but we got to meet and walk around with Mr. Palmer. And, you know, I'm a six-year-old little midget running around, and, and it was hilarious. And, and, you know, my mom was my mom's a good-looking woman, and, and AP kind of said, hey, wow, they've got some really good country, good-looking country girls out here. And, you know, and I think my dad puffed up like, hey, you know, Mr. Palmer <laughs> thinks my wife is, is hot. And this is – it was uh, it was hilarious. And uh, so that's still – it's a story that goes back a long ways in our family. But, you know, and then to – to, I started working at Oakmont in 1994 during the U.S. Open. I was one of my last internships, and you know, so Arnold was, you know, waiting for Jack. And you know, I, I've been. We had actually Bob Ford was the last person to own the merchandising rights, uh, last professional to own the merchandising rights for the U.S. Open, the host professional. And so we had, you know, we had 
we had sold $6 million worth of stuff that week. So obviously preparing for that was incredible. I mean, to warehouse it, to get all the product in, to get all the, you know, the, the, the tents, the merchandise tents, the way we wanted them and air condition them. And, you know, we're down there driving a forklift and moving boxes all day. And I mean, I look terrible. I mean, I've got shorts and a t-shirt and I'm dirty as, you know, you can, you know, be. And, so, you know, we're walking we're walking by down to the range, past the range, and there's Mr. Palmer, the only one hitting balls. And, you know, so here I am in shorts and a dirty T-shirt and, you know, warehouse gloves. And, I mean, I look terrible. And uh, I'll never forget it. Jimmy Ford and I were standing there, and, uh, and we stopped to watch him hit some balls. And he turns around, he looked at us, and he goes, hey, how you doing, man? And we're like, great, Mr. Palmer, how are you? And he goes, I'm... I'm great. I'm waiting for Jack, you know, or he's running late. And, you know, here I am talking to my hero and, and I look like a total bum. <laughs> and he, he comes over and he shakes our hand. And, and if anyone knows, you hear the stories about Mr. Palmer all the time, but he had a magnetic handshake. I, I don't know what it was. He had these big hands and he big paws and he gives you this boom and he hits your hand and, and, you know, you shake your hand, and you're like, oh, my, I've never had anybody shake my hand and feel like there was some energy there. And he said, how are you, you guys doing? And so now we're, like, we're looking at each other like, what? And why is he talking to us? You know, we, we, I don't even know why he's talking with us. And, and, and he said, you know, we're waiting for Jack. And, and he said, you know, what are you guys doing? And we told him what we were doing. He said, well, I know how hard work it is to – you know, prepare for an event, and, you know, I, I thank you for it, and, you know, everything looks great. And we said, well, listen, Mr. Palmer, we don't want to take any more of your time, sir. Just, you know, want to say hi. And he's, well, all right, man. And he slaps us on the back, and off he went hitting balls. And, I, you know, it's just the kind of guy he was. And, you know, I I got a chance to meet, you know, I got a chance to meet George W. Bush and had a very similar experience where, you know, you shake his hand, and, you know, you're just in the presence of greatness. And, you know, I mean, W and, you know, and I wish people could see that side of him. And, you know, you shook his hand and, you know, one of his caddies, his caddy was a, one of our caddies was a terrible, terrible stutterer. And, you know, so he goes to shake W's hand and he is struggling. He's, you know, he just can't get it out. He can't say, good morning. How are you, Mr. President? And so W grabs him and he has him by the hand and he, he knows immediately what's happening. And all of us were like, oh, my God, how's he going to handle this? And he grabs him by the shirt and pulls him in closer and was basically like, I will be with you as long as this takes. And it was one of the the kindest, wow. most incredible moments I've ever seen. And it almost chokes you up because, you know, yeah. and Eric finally went, how are you, Mr. President? You know, and he's great. I'm great. And I want a picture with you right now. And he grabbed him, took this big picture, and and you know, I mean, those are those are the things that the people like Arnold and W. I mean, they're just great. They were great human beings, and and he knew immediately what was happening. Where most of us would have tried to finish the sentence or say, "Hey, what's going on here?" He he hung with him, but boy, I'll tell you, you know, I I sorry to get off on you know w there for a minute but uh you know ap was such a special guy and to be in his to be in his the kingdom magazine and to see him come in and and you know i one of the the highlights of my golfing career was playing in the palmer cup matches 
And it's the tri-state, the best tri-state PGA professionals take on the best amateurs in the in the West Penn region. And and you know we did it at Latrobe, and and he played. He played in the afternoon matches. You go out in a two ball, you know, a four ball, going out and you know play a best ball with Arnold Palmer. And you, you wow. go, I, I I can't believe this is happening. And you know I was I was right behind him in the group behind him. I didn't get to play with him, but uh, he's playing in the group in front of us and. And then had a big cocktail hour and dinner, and and he's sitting there belting back kettle ones and telling stories. And I'll never forget sitting at the round table after the matches, and he's sitting there, and we're, you know, we're all in coat and tie and looking good, and and uh, you know he's there having a kettle one, and and he's telling a story about Ben Hogan, you know, about how Hogan really didn't like him, and. Uh, Always called him fella. Wouldn't call him Arnie or Arnold. They'd call him fella. Hey, fella, how you doing? And uh, they had this one practice round, and, and they wanted to have a match with Arnold. And uh, Hogan wanted a match. And, you know, Arnold's like, listen, I won the last two tournaments. And, you know, I mean, I'm I'm tired. I, I, I'm not playing. They're like, no, you're going to play. And Hogan's asking you to play at 10 o'clock on Monday morning. Fine, all right. So he gets out there, and they play this match. And Arnold was – telling the story he's like i'm hitting it everywhere i'm hooking it everywhere and he's right down the middle of every hole and i'm all over the place and so he's like finally i you know my partner kept us in the match and i birdied the last three holes and we beat hogan and so we go in wash up go sit at the lunch table and he said you know hogan walked in ben walked in right past him sat at the other table with his back toward him and wouldn't sit with him because he said no one that hits it as sideways as you should ever beat me <laughs> and he wouldn't even sit with him at the table. <laughs> and you know, you go, Oh my god, dude, like is this and here's your here's your idol of all times telling him the story about playing against Hogan and uh you know, I mean, just to sit there with him and I'll never forget he finishes a drink and he's like, Patsy yelling to the waitress and he's like, I work and she snuck right in behind him and placed the vodka right in front of him and she's and he <laughs> he turned to her and he goes Patsy, you've always taken great care of me. Thank you, honey. You know, it was like he's the man. You know, you can't you can't make it up. He was the man. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Eric. You know, and and you talked about you know being there in 1994, which you know was his last U.S. Open there at Oakmont, and really, Eric was a surreal day, right, in our country, June 17, 1994, because it was his final round of, you know, playing in, in a U.S. Open. And simultaneously we had, you know, the O.J. Simpson police chase going on. And do, do you know, did he ever talk about, you know, after all of that happened, right? Because it was an emotional day. We all, if you haven't seen it, you know, please go, you can find it on YouTube. But an emotional day for him to end his U.S. Open career right there, you know, outside of Pittsburgh at, at Oakmont. And then, you know, uh, simultaneously I think, you know, people around the country are torn between watching his final round on TV but also watching this O.J. Simpson surreal thing going on as well. Did he ever talk about that? You know, he really – he never really talked to us about that, but it's true. I mean, you know, here we've got the United States Open Championship, you know, the king of golf saying goodbye in his backyard, and and we've got to see, you know, Orenthal James driving around in the white Bronco, you know. And, and so it was uh, – he really never said much to us about it, but, you know, I mean – and he he never would because he was just that kind of guy. He was uh, he was selfless. He you know did everything for everybody else. And you know I don't know that we'll ever see another uh, true great ambassador to the game the way he was. I mean he loved to play. I mean who would have thought 
that Arnold Palmer would play with some tri-state PGA professionals. That he always called us his fellow tri-state PGA professionals, and playing an afternoon match against some amateurs. You know, I mean, he just loved the right. game so much, and he was so 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 selfless. I, I he he really wouldn't he wouldn't do things like that. You know, I mean, he he was just uh, you know I miss him every day, and to to see the life and so many people that he has affected. And the career, I, there hasn't been one thing that's been said about him that's been overinflated. He he was that, he was that great of a human being, you know. And and the the effect that he had on Western Pennsylvania, I mean, my goodness gracious, you know. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go in some clubhouse, there's something signed by Arnold Palmer, and everybody has it in every club. You can't go to yeah. a club around here and not see something. And he was the king. He was the king, no doubt yes, about it. Was. And, and Eric, you know, I had I had Peter Kessler, and you talk about finding something in in you know in the in the golf shops around. I had Peter Kessler on the show a few weeks ago, and Peter told a great story about you know the first time that he went to meet Mr. Palmer up at the Latrobe Country Club before you know the the Golf Channel you know got kicked off you know, and he, Peter was you know one of the originals there on the Golf Channel, and he was waiting for Mr. Palmer and you know outside his office I think Mr. Palmer was on the phone and so he's looking around at all the memorabilia that uh, Mr. Palmer had and you know immediately struck by there's a green jacket from the Masters there framed on the wall and it had the scorecards from the uh, from the final rounds of each of Mr. Palmer's wins and Peter had noticed that the scorecard there for 1962 had him finishing with scores of 446 instead of 333 and he immediately struck him that that's not the scorecard from, from 1962. It's from 1961 because he had made double bogey on the last hole to lose right. to, to Gary Player. And he pointed out to, you know, Mr. Palmer's assistant there at the time that, you know, hey, you got the wrong scorecard here. But, you know, the the person had insisted, no, 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 that's that's the right one. And when Mr. Palmer emerges from the office, Peter pointed out the error to Mr. Palmer. And he said Mr. Palmer walked over and kind of looked into the glass and stat, you know stood there for, in, for a few moments in silence and said – Look, turned and looked at him and said, I still can't believe I lost to that son of a bitch. So, <laughs> that's sort of... Yeah, that's, that's how he was. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, he, he, was, he was amazing, you know. And, and you know, listen, I'm not going to bash on Tiger too much, but he, he played eight practice rounds in 2007 and never, ever walked into the golf shop. Not once, not mm. once to say hello. And every time Mr. Palmer would walk in the golf shop, he would take his hat off. He'd go, hey, boys, hey, men, uh, Arnold Palmer, how are you? Uh, I want to thank you for hosting <laughs> wow. me today. And we're all like, yeah, okay, yes, sir. You know, and, like, we don't know who you right. are. And, oh, hi, uh, I'm Jack <laughs> Nicholas, right? You know, I, right, Mr. Palmer. And he goes, is Bob in? I really wanted to thank him. And, and that's the kind of guy he was. Uh, you know, I mean – he didn't have to do those things that he did, and he knew it was the people. It was about it was about great people, and I'll, it, it kind of goes in a parallel thing. Mr. Hardy here, I mean, founder of eighty four lumber, and you know, ninety three year old, just a class gentleman, uh, sits me down on my first day, and you know, first day eight thirty in the morning, ninety three year old guy, boom, right in, comes in right on time, and tells me how it's about the people, and that people make you know a company great, and. And Arnold knew that, and and they have a similar, or they had a very similar, uh, you know, feelings about about human beings. And it, it was it was amazing to see Mr. Palmer and how genuinely 
gracious and wonderful he was. We we were playing Seminole one day, and so we're we're coming off the ninth hole, and I look over and there's Mr. Palmer sitting on cart number one, and we're like, holy cow, that's Arnold Palmer over there. This was about two or three years ago, and um, and teeing off is Nick Price, and you know I've got this shot, and I'm like, you know, if I skull this chip shot. Or this pitch shot here, I killed Nick Price, and and I've got Arnold Palmer over there watching, and I'm like nervous as all get out, and my great friend Mark McGraw stuffs it to like a foot, you know, taps in, makes birdie, I chunk it up there somewhere in two putt, and I we walk off the green, and John Birmingham, who is a longtime member at Seminole, and great player, just got in the Hall of Fame here, and uh, you know went over and said, hey Arnie, hey John, how you doing? You know, good, good, good. I want you to meet these guys, and. You know, and, you know, was shaking Arnold Palmer's hand, and my guest, Mark McGraw, our guest, uh, you know, walked off after meeting, after making birdie on the ninth hole at Seminole and a meeting Arnold Palmer and then Nick Price. He said, you know, guys, it's been a great day. I don't even know if I need to play the backside. <laughs> you know, we're like, hey, Mark, we're playing the backside. We got, we got nine more holes to go, my man. But, you know, he goes, that, that could be the greatest day of my life. I just made birdie in front of Arnold Palmer, met him, shook hands, shook hands, with Nick Price. I mean, wow. it, it, to, to, to be able to do those things, you're living a, you're living a little fantasy there. And uh, really, really special guy. You know, and Mark, Mark went off and – told you know his you know mr palmer about a picture that his dad had on the wall and mark's father was the president of mcgraw hill publishing and then his grandfather was the you know founder of the company and he said you know you you have a there's a picture that my dad has in his office and it says to john best wishes you know our own palmer and there's you know you took him into a bunker and taught him how to hit a bunker shot and, you know, and, and he's like, oh, is that right? How's your dad? You know, tell him I said hi. And, you know, Arnold was so inviting and so warming. You know, he just touched everyone, you know. And, and you know, like I said, Mark's got this, his dad has this picture in his office of he and Arnold Palmer. And, the, and he said, you know, there's Mr. Palmer. The funny part about that story, there was only one guy walking in there with a club, and that was my dad, not you. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you were teaching him how to do this. And, uh you know, it's amazing how, how how he affected the world. Eric, let's switch gears a little bit. I wanted to get your get your thoughts on on the Ryder Cup this year. So, you know, looking back on that event, what are your general thoughts about what you saw at the Ryder Cup? Well, well, I, you know, you got to start with Phil Mickelson. You know, and it almost seems like the more he yaps, the better he gets. I, I, I've never seen anybody that can seem to kind of stick his foot in his mouth and then coming out, comes out looking like the hero. I, I mean, it was unbelievable. And there's not many people like that that can bring upon some pressure to themselves. And, you know, look at Denny Willett. Denny Willett had some pressure put on him and he folded like a cheap suit. And, you know, and, and, and I just don't think that, you know, unfortunate that, you know, the things were said that were said and, by his brother, and and I think there was a little some little hard feelings going on there. I don't think Willett had a great event, and so I'm sure that doesn't sit real well with him. But you know, hey, he's a big boy; he's got to put his pants on and and uh, and go play. And but I just don't think a Danny Willett is the kind of guy that would be able to do the stuff that Phil did. I mean, to make ten birdies in 18 holes in a Ryder Cup with all that pressure and all the like self brought upon pressure that Phil did is just remarkable. Um, you know, I'm finally glad we got a win. I mean, I don't know, 
what they did in this task force, but I don't care. We got a W, and I was <laughs> delighted about it. And, you know, I mean, I really don't care what they did. I could, you know, go on date nights. I don't care what they do, but, you know, I mean, we, you know, it's great to see Americans play and win. And I, you know, I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, Europeans are much tougher golfers. I mean, we, we get, you know, perfect conditions every week and perfect weather, and, and they don't. And they play in stuff that we wouldn't play in. And they're just tougher players. And they they grow up playing match play. And, you know, I've played over there a bunch. I've played a lot of their, you know, we've, we've gone over for that Oakmont versus Lachlan and Cup matches. And, and I'm not kidding. They play for their town, their country, their family name, their clan. I mean, it's a personal thing for them. I mean, it's about the golf. And they no problem being friendly after and during the round. But they are fierce competitors. And... And I think that we don't seem to see that very often in American players. And and I, I'm convinced they're tougher players. But I think at the end of the day, you know, and, you know, you look at Rory and the Patrick Reed match, and they were both yeah. going haywire. And, and then when they put their arms around each other and kind of walked off, I hope that we can, we can remember that. And to me, that's what the Ryder Cup and golf's about. Listen, no one wants to lose. These are all rich, wealthy guys, and and it means a lot to their ego. And they don't want to lose. But at the end of the day, it was about friendship and great golf, and let's put the ball in the air and, and let's see who wins. And I hope that, right. you know, I, this whole this whole nonsense about a few, you know, few fans, you know, squawking at the players and, you know, is that stuff going to happen? Yeah, it happens. And, and, and let's not, let's not kid ourselves. It happens over in Europe too, to our guys. So let's not, let's not get whining about it too much here. But uh, (laughs) is there, is there a spot in the game for that? I don't think so, but let's not forget it happens over there too. And, you know, you can be mad at American fans, whatever, uh, and European fans can do the same thing, and and you know, and we'll see. I hope, but I hope at the end of the day, you respectfully cheer for your guys. You don't, you know, rudely cheer for the opponents. And at the end of the day, we shake hands and and be friends after we watch some of the greatest golf. And then Sergio, I forgot about Sergio. How about Sergio Garcia coming in? And making it on top of Phil after Phil had already made it. You know, I mean, Sergio's not known as the best putter out there, and he made nine birdies. That might go down as the greatest, single greatest uh, Ryder Cup match in the history of the Ryder Cup. I mean, mm-hmm. 19 birdies, 19 birdies between two guys and ended up a tie. And, you know, maybe it should have been a – maybe, it, you know – when you think back on it, maybe Phil should have given him a Nicholas moment and said, hey, pick that up, you know. Um, but you know what? We're in the middle of a Ryder Cup, and we both want to win. So, you know what? I'm I'm just delighted that Sergio made it right on top of him. It was it. That was an incredible, incredible Ryder Cup. Unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and you talked about you know the the Patrick Reed Roy McIlroy you know uh, singles matchup, but boy, I, I'm not sure I've ever seen any any more you know sort of raw emotion, if you will, and a, and a match between not only between the two players. But, you know, obviously the fans on top of that. But, you know, boy, between those two singles matches, I don't know that golf gets any better than that. I don't know that it does. You know, when you, when you, see, when you see how, you know, and, and Patrick Reed was like that. When he, 
when he turned and did the little shush, you know, to to, yeah. to uh, Heinrich Stenson, I mean, are you kidding me? Heinrich Stenson, he looks like a bodybuilder. He would destroy this guy in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> and he has the nerve to turn around to him and shush him. You know, I mean, like, I, holy cow, what just happened there? And then to see what he did to to see what he did to Rory, it, it, you know, he's like a he's like a Phil in that sense where, you know, he's not afraid of some pressure, you know, and he's not afraid to say, hey, I'm a top five player in the world, and he believes it, and you know, right. whether he is or not, I, we'll we'll see, but you know, that was, you know, whether you like the kid or not, that was some of the gutsiest performance I've ever seen in my life. I mean, yeah. to, to take on the number one player in the world and. And shush him right back, and and to step in that arena and and win. And I, you know, I don't care what you say, Rory. Oh, I was tired. Whatever. If you can't be up in that, please. You know, but uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, but 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 you know, Patrick came out on top, and that was. Yep. And I think everybody knew how how significant. And you say, well, it's one point. It's only one. Right. It was one point, and it was the most significant point out there because. You know, we needed it, and we sent our best guy at the time out to take on their best guy. And we, you know they're going to front load it. Everybody's going to do it now. That's how they do it. Everybody, that was some gutsy. And I do like the fact, and, and those two, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens over history, over over time. What will happen? Will they become, you know, better friends? Will they, you know, they hang out a little more? Uh, you know, I mean, the, you know, one of the coolest things we had, uh, Stanley Druckenmiller has a big SWAT party, you know, at, at Oakmont, and Phil played this year, and Adam Scott and Rory and, you know, some of these big boys playing on a Monday in shorts uh, at Oakmont in front of the Open, you know, and they're all there hanging out, and they sat down on a table. It was it was Rory and, and you know, Adam Scott and, and Phil and John Kasich was there. He was playing. He was sitting at the table, and Dave Pels and all these guys sitting there. And it was, it was, it was incredible to see them all sitting there. And you know, as a as a fan of golf, you're looking at the greatness. You're, look at the table that you're looking at. You got a guy who's running for president just just bowed out. You got all these. This is golf. You know, royalty sitting there, and they're all sitting there hanging out, having a glass of wine, watching. You know, and and yakking at each other, and they're all friends. But it's, it'd be interesting to see what happens after a Ryder Cup like that, to see if their their friendships get stronger, or they you know they grow apart a little bit, or if it's a little chip on their right. on their shoulder. Eric, just a couple more before we let you go, and um, I wanted to get your thoughts on Jason Day's swing. Like you know, his friend Tiger Woods, he just lashes at the ball so hard and so fast. You know, and with the type of issues that he's been having with his back. And it, could, it seems like it could go at any time without a warning. And anyone who has you know, back problems, you all know that, you know, like I do, that you know, a, one rad move and all of a sudden now your, your back is spasm. If you were you know, his, his swing coach or a guy that could give him some advice, do you think he needs to continue to lash at the ball like he does? Because you don't really need to drive the ball 350, 385 to be successful on the tour. And it just, it just seems like he goes at it so hard that uh, it, it might be doing him more harm than good, actually, for you know longevity in the game. <clears throat> you know, that's a that's a really good question, and I'm not sure we know the answer, but I I do know this: um, length is a determiner of people that that win. There's not many there's not many of the Zach Johnsons that can win out there 
Zach Johnson wins because he's tough as nails and he wedges it great and puts it unbelievably. So on a course like St. Andrews, he can win. Uh, the, the golf course, the golf courses they play are getting longer and longer and longer. And now we know from proximity to the hole that the closer you are to the hole, the, the you know, the, the, the closer you're going to hit your approach shot. So from a longevity standpoint, I'm not sure that that's a great thing. Uh, but from a winning standpoint, you have to bomb it. Uh, the game is totally different. You know, it's, uh, you know, when I have people come to me all the time and they say, hey, you know, can my son play in college or can I play in on the tour? And the first thing I do is put them on track, man. And if they can't get it at 112 to 120, then I say, you know what, uh, might be a nice amateur career, but he's never going to play full time because the guys are hitting it too far. Now, you know, I mean, when you look at Jason Day's swing from a mechanical standpoint, it's magnificent. Now, are some of that coming in because he's swinging so hard? It might be. Um, but, again, at the end of the day, if some tour player out there said, listen, you know, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an extra 30 yards and you're going to bomb it and for 10 years you're going to have an almost unbelievable run you can have. You'll make, you know, $150 million in those 10 years. Uh, or you can sit back here and not hit it as far. You can be 30 yards shorter and, and you'll have an okay career and maybe you'll make $10 million or $15 million over the course of your career. I don't know one guy isn't going to put his hand up and say, give me the extra 30 and I'll take the injuries. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I just At the end of the day, it's about money, and if you can give me a 10-year run and, and make a pile of money and then I can you know, go fishing or do whatever the heck I want after that, you know, there isn't going to be anybody that's not going to do that. There's not many Furics out there who have had the longevity. And Phil, look at Phil. I mean, talk about that guy. He's been at 11 Ryder Cups and never had to get picked. That's an unbelievable run in the game of golf. And mm-hmm. and you know what? He's tweaked his swing a little bit, but he never made radical changes like Tiger. And when you look at the destruction and the dismantling of Tiger in his golf swing, you know, I I I kind of blame some of the golf scientists for that. You know, I mean, some of these guys, and they want to talk about biomechanics and how the body moves and every hub angle and hub path and vertical ground force reactions and all this nonsense, and you go – what are you talking about? It's about hitting the ball hard. It's about seeing it start on line and it's seeing it curve the right way. All this other stuff, that's nice. You sound like little golf scientists. That's that's nice. You guys keep sticking in the laboratory. But don't mess up the greats. You got less than two-tenths of a second on the downswing to hit the ball. I don't think you need to be thinking a whole bunch of mechanical thoughts. I guarantee you, guarantee you that Jack Nicklaus never thought about mechanical thoughts. All this nonsense we're hearing and some of the way these guys are teaching anymore they sound like yeah. robots I, I don't know what i don't know what they're talking you know i mean i listen i know all what they're saying but i don't know why they're saying it I, I don't know if they're just saying it to be smart but you know i mean or sound smart I, but you're you're ruining you're ruining players i don't think that's smart eric one more before we let you go and you know you're a great teacher of the golf swing and the golf game, and I love your I love your website, EricJohnsonGolf.com. Give our les- our listeners one tip that might uh, save them a stroke or two when they go out and tee it up this weekend. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I you know, when you think about what most people don't do is hit it solid. You know, I mean, the number one thing, and I and I, I said if you can overly simplify the game, if you overly simplify the game, and you say, listen, what's the most important thing you can do? Hit it solid. Hit it in the center of the face. 
You know, if you're standing there at TBC Sawgrass and you're on the 17th hole of the Island Green, I'm sure you're not saying, boy, I hope I hit it real straight because you can roll a grounder right into the water and those balls don't float. you got to hit it solid. So, you know, when I say hit it solid, you know, to me that's working on your footwork, you know, staying a little bit more in the shot. I see a lot of people getting out of sync with the golf club and jumping up. So I have a great drill where I have people put their right big toe to the top of the shoe and hit some balls and feel how the golf club's supposed to swing during the swing. You know, your arms and your wrists are there to, to help, you know, swing that golf club in the square of the face. And I see too many people just out of sync with their lower body. I see too much jumping and too much out in front. So keep your right big toe up through impact. Let the golf club feel like it's passing you a little bit. Swing the golf club, and you'll be in great shape. Eric, remind our listeners how they can find you, whether it's online or over social media as well. <clears throat> yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on I Twitter. I don't tweet much, but uh, Eric Johnson Golf and EricJohnsonGolf.com and and uh, you can catch me there and Nemecolon website, nemecolon.com. And, uh, you know, before we go, I, Chris, I, you know, I appreciate the men and women of this country and the great men and women of this country. And hopefully we can get through some of this political nonsense that's happening out there. But, you know, anyone who threatens the United States of America needs to meet one of our men and women. And uh, they need to meet their creator. So shoot straight. Stay safe out there. And uh, we thank you for all you guys do for us. I appreciate you adding that in, Eric. My friend, it's always a privilege and a pleasure to get to spend some time with you. You know you're one of my all-time favorites in my dream, Fison. If uh, you know, if I put one together, you would certainly be in it. I thank you so much for your time this morning. Already looking forward to the opportunity when I get to get to spend some more time with you next time. But thank you so much for all your time. Today. Well, hey, Chris, thank you. You're an unbelievable interviewer. And listen, come on, let's come on up, Nemico, and we'll – you got to see what we have up here. It's a, it's an absolute fantasy land, and you know, leaving Oakmont was a very emotional decision, and but uh, I made the right move, and I love it here, and and I, I would love to have you up here. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I, I'll take you up on that. I promise you that. Eric, take care. All the best to you and your family, my friend. Yes, sir, we'll Chris. Thanks. Soon. God bless. Well, All right, thanks. Take care. Bye bye. That is Eric Johnson, again, one of the top 100 instructors out there. and anyway, No one does it better than Eric does. Great site, ericjohnsongolf.com, and then follow him on Twitter as well. Very excited always to uh, get the opportunity to spend some time with Eric. As you can tell, a lot of fun every time he's a part of the show. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this, this episode. But, you know, every week we like to you know, continue to remind you about the great things that uh, our friend Jim Estes, PGA Tour Pro, and the, and the folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association are doing. Let's hear some words from Jim. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. 
Yeah, folks, you're doing some amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. Please, to find out more information and how you can get involved, check out their website, smga.org. All right, everybody, my sincere thanks again to Dennis Cohen and Eric Johnson for making today's show so interesting and fun for me to be a part of. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Please also check out our sister show, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazare and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio as well as on the Armed Forces Radio Network. You can also find that show just like this one. On great side, we can't thank our good friends over at Podbean enough for what they're doing to promote both shows and recommending it and having it on, you know, one of their top lists. We thank them so very much. We're, this show is also one of the here is the top golf show as a podcast available on iHeartRadio as well. Thanks to those folks. You can also find us on Spreaker, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, Player.fm, and SoundCloud as well. On our sister show Thursday night, Tailgate, every week we bring you five legends from around the game of uh, football, around from the NFL, to share their stories and their insights. And our good friend Tony Collins, former Patriots Pro Bowl running back, shares his five-star picks of the week. So you can find that show, like I said, just like this one, on so many of the great podcasting sites in the Armed Forces Radio Network. Check out our, our sites online. This show, nextonthetea.net and thursdaynighttailgate.com. You can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free from either of those sites, just like those great podcasting sites as well so folks thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today we know you've got a thousand shows out there that you have the opportunity to listen to and get your content from we really appreciate the fact that you're making next on the t one of them until next week hit them straight my friends you've been listening to next on the t with christmas carol where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors And media members go to tell their stories Join us the same time every Saturday To hear more stories about the game we love From the people who love sharing those stories with you It's all about the great game of golf It's all about the great game of golf